Well, as today is really the final day of our 21 days of prayer, we started on Monday after we had taught really the first week of this series, this kind of picture, this beautiful picture of Jesus' invitation to follow him. During these days, we all or many of us commit to praying. We even have times in the morning to pray together and invite you to grow in that. Our whole intention is that each one of us are able to seek God in unique ways. And especially as the year begins and in all we've been through, it's been a great time to do that. We've been asking you how it's been meaningful for you. Has God met you? Have you had any new understandings or new practices? And so even this morning, if you're online, if you're at, a, at your home, you can even share a little bit about what God's been doing. If there has been some movement, if you're here in the campus, you can kind of consider that as well. As we've been asking it for those who've been involved, it's been wonderful to listen to. You know, uh, we've had individuals, uh, one, one gentleman who said, you know, I, I now get to work at the beginning of my day and I engage in my practice with God, that this practice we've been doing, these times in the morning have helped me to harness my whole day differently and it, it affects me as I go throughout the day. Others of you have shared how you're learning and growing that God is teaching you things, even new practices. Some have talked about, I've never considered having worship as a part of my quiet, or I'm learning to focus my prayer in a new way. Others of you have talked about the uniqueness of how God meets you and comforts you in loss. I know one individual shared with us even kind of a picture or a vision of someone they'd had that had passed some years before, and just the comfort it was to even have a sense of them being with God. Many have shared that they're gaining direction. God's guiding them into this. We've had stories of couples who've begun to do this together and it's created conversation and interaction and new growth in their marriage. We've had singles and individuals alone who are saying, you know what, I love that we have this time together even though I'm not in the room with people. I'm in such isolation. It's great to feel and have a sense of we're together. This is bigger than me, but God's moving in us. Many of you have shared that the 30 minutes we've done have just gone by fast. Even one person said, you know, it's made me hungry. I want to drive deeper into my connection with the Lord. I loved one story. The person said, you know what? I actually, after these times, I want to love my spouse better and my kids better. And I'm sure their spouse and kids said amen to that, right? I mean, what a great thing that we would all grow in that and want that and seek that. I was deeply impacted by one person who wrote and going through some real difficulties and some despair. And they said, you know, the, the situation hasn't changed, but somehow when I meet with God, I have hope coming out of it. And that's what we want to have happen, that we are people who seek after God and everything we do in these 21 days is to move in that direction. I, I know for me, it's been a wonderful season just of seeking him and having new kind of patterns and discoveries. And it really relates to what we've been in the series, this idea of follow me, that Jesus himself invites us to follow him. We looked at it in the first week, the wonder of picking these young men out that are fishing. Clearly, they failed out of rabbi school. They haven't made it to the Talmudim, to the idea that they'd be called as followers, that they could actually ask. And instead, Jesus meets them on the shores, and the shores of their work, and the shores of how they haven't measured up and says, follow me. The next week, we looked very particularly at those things that drew people to follow Jesus, the wonders of the kingdom and the power that was demonstrated and proclaimed through him. And last week, we looked at the hard side of this, how many people walked away when they really saw the cost of following. And this final week, we wanna take a look at Peter's journey 
Peter is one of the 12 who followed Jesus most closely, one of the three who even was invited in closer. And Peter, in case you don't know, is a mess, <laughs> which I love about him. It gives me hope because I think, unfortunately, you and I, we see these disciples, we see the early church, and we go, that was then, and those are unique people. And what Jesus said through all of this is, no, they're not. I picked them because they're just like you and me. And as we take a look through Peter's journey, you're going to see this. We're just going to look at a few excerpts of Peter walking with Jesus. Now, make no mistake, Peter was with him for all the miracles. We have 22 recorded approximately in the Gospels. Now, John tells us if, we were to, if he were to write everything Jesus did, there wouldn't be a book to contain it. And even within those 22, some of them are Jesus healed every single person in that village. Crazy, right? So I want you to understand, Peter walked through all of this. And I want to remind you of how a rabbi works with his disciples, because it gives us picture, and really these two ideas come from the Mishnah, which is a, a, a writing of the oral tradition of the Jewish people, and it tells us how they would have viewed the rabbi. And they were these two statements about what it meant to follow a rabbi. You be covered in his dust, and you drink in his words thirsty. Now, to be covered in his dust, that's why we have the feeder. It's literally that you walk so closely to them that the dust kicks up on you, that you're looking to live just like they live, not meaning it's just a path, like it's a physical path, but it means everything you do, you're following everything the leader does. When Jesus says, follow me, he's inviting us to literally follow him. And then in the same way, it's paired with drinking in his words thirsty. In other words, we hang on every word he says. We want to understand. You wonder, one of the reasons we always engage in Scripture is Scripture is the what God has left us to understand who Jesus is. From beginning to end, everything about it centers on Jesus. There's something unique about it when we read it. It's not just information like a book. It's revelation. God actually speaks to us, leads us, changes us as we open it. Well, with that in mind, we're going to take it up in Peter's journey alongside of Jesus. We're going to take it up in a very unique situation. In case you can't see it here, this is water. This is kind of an image thinking of Jesus walking on the water. And when we come to this aspect of the story, which we looked at in one of the other weeks... Jesus has let his disciples go ahead of him after a very major time with all these people that are saying they want to follow him, and they got in the boat, and they go to the other side of the lake or the Sea of Galilee. Jesus isn't with them, and he begins to walk on the water to get to them. Is that crazy? I mean, come on. We read this stuff like it's everyday occurrence. Oh, you know, Jesus walked on the water. There were probably rocks there that he walked on. No, there weren't. There was probably some wind that came up. And, no, it didn't. It was frozen. No, it wasn't. Not on the Sea of Galilee. This is a miracle. This is unbelievable what he does. Now, they're freaked out, but I love Peter's response. It's one of the things I so love about him. Hey, Lord, if it's you, and if it's not you, by the way, I'm freaked out because I don't know what to do with a dude on the water. Tell me to come to you on the water. Does that sound odd to any of you? The idea that he would ask to come, we always look at Peter and go, what a, f I mean, just an idiot. What an idiot. Oh, just shoot your mouth off before you think. Now you realize you can't walk on water. You shouldn't walk on water. And why would you even ask if you could walk on water? You, Peter, you think you're so great. Now Jesus' response, though, kind of gives us 
come. Hey, go ahead, come on. Peter gets out of the boat, walks on the water, comes to Jesus. Is that not crazy? What's a disciple do? A disciple follows in the dust of the rabbi. If the rabbi walks on water, should the disciple be able to? Have you ever looked at that story and thought, that should be normative to us? I don't think we think that way, do we? What we think is Peter is an idiot. Why didn't he keep his mouth shut? I'm sure the rest of the guys are going, dude, I'm never going to do that. What a dumb move. Crazy. Now what happens is he does fall in the water and Jesus pulls him out and then he says, you of little faith. See, he doesn't say, Peter, you can't do this. Peter, what a dumb idea. He says, Peter, you got it right. You and I should be looking for greater things, not lesser things. But which message do you think we often get from Peter's story? Don't be an idiot and try something you can't do. What I love about Peter is he does a lot of things he can't do. You know what I wish? I had more courage to start doing things I can't do. Because everything in my mind says it's not reasonable, doesn't happen. Those are great stories. Have you ever thought this way? I love what it says in the Bible in the New Testament church. Yeah, we just don't see those anymore. Does it occur to you maybe we're wrong? And it better occur to you maybe we're wrong. Because it's really messing me up with this. You know, we look at Peter and he clearly missed it, but he clearly got it right. He actually read what Jesus did and saw what Jesus did. And he said, you know what? I'm supposed to do this too. I love that Jesus tells him, you don't have faith. Why do you doubt? You know, I'm, I'm very cautious in my own life. And I think this is probably true for us. You know, we live in a very comfortable, reasonable time. We are very much self-sufficient. We very much have landed on the idea that God gave us a mind and God gave us arms and legs and the things to do, we're just to go do it. And I'm not dismissing that those are true, but how did we lose sight of the miraculous dependence Jesus invites us to? Man, I wanna step out of a boat and do things that don't make sense. I want to be like Peter, and I don't want to care if I look like an idiot. And it's one of the things I so love about his story. Because make no mistake, he's not an idiot one time. It does a lot of times. And yet Jesus is one of the foundational people God builds a church on. I mean, that should be hopeful to us. In case you don't realize it, having Jesus pick a bunch of disciples that weren't in the synagogues, that weren't successful, having him pick a bunch of people that were back and forth. He even told Peter, you know, I'm going to change your name because he had a different name, Simon. Peter means rock. He says, one day you'll be a rock. Does he seem like a rock right now? Not so much. And make no mistake, it continues. In fact, if we look at Peter and just him specifically walking with Jesus, just as kind of a picture, think of Jesus standing there. The reason Peter is often in the foreground is he becomes the voice of the whole group of disciples. It's like they all look at him and they go, hey, Pete, would you ask Jesus this? Because I don't think it's a good question, but I don't really want to find out. And then if, if he's wrong, they all go, I can't believe Jesus said I can't believe Peter asked that. What a dummy. But if he gets it right, they go, yes. You know, I, I asked it too, Lord. I mean, he becomes the mouthpiece of all of them. And, and make no mistake, it's highs and lows for him. It is not all good. It is not all simple. It is not all easy. In fact, in Matthew 15... Jesus is telling these stories, these parables, which is something he uses to teach us. It's about a third of his teaching and what he does are in stories. 
And what's interesting is he tells this story about basically clean and unclean, and he talks about how what's clean is what's inside of you, or unclean is what's inside of you. It goes out. What you bring in and what you ingest won't make you unclean, but it's what's in your heart. That's the ultimate message. Now, nobody really understands it. His disciples don't. He takes it further. Hey, these are blind guys. In other words, look at these religious people and all they're doing. They are blind. They don't see what matters. And then Peter, maybe talking to all the other guys, goes, you know, I don't get this. Let's... Let's ask Jesus what it means. Hey, uh, Jesus, can you explain the parable to us? Jesus, in his incredibly affirming, kind-hearted way, says, are you so dull? (laughs) Whoever says Jesus is always nice, like they have not read the Gospels. It's not like he's going, hey, are you a little short of a full deck? No, he's saying, are you dull? Do you not get this? Did I not tell you all the ways to understand it? I mean, you're seeing that Peter blows it here, right? But I don't want you to look on it and think we shouldn't ask, but I want you to look and go, I love that Peter blows it. I love it because Peter goes, listen, I'm gonna keep asking. I don't get it. Maybe I am dull, but guess what? I just, I gotta keep knowing. I think so often we wanna look dignified and be dignified. Jesus never invited us to follow him in a dignified way. (laughs) He just said, follow me. I love Peter's story because it challenges and encourages me because he is hero, zero, hero, zero. It is back and forth and back and forth. We move a little further into Matthew, just into the next chapter, and Peter goes from zero to hero just like that. Jesus is hanging out again with his disciples and he asks them, hey, who do people say I am? He's asking to find out what do people think I am? What role do they think I'm gonna play? Who do they think my identity is? Peter, of course, chimes in, as he always does. You do realize he definitely is not a, I should think this through, it's vomit, whatever comes out. And he goes, well, listen, people say you're a prophet, people say you're very important and chosen of God, and then Jesus asks him this really simple question. Who do you say I am? Twelve people, he asks it, guess who answers? You can guess, go ahead. Yeah, it's Peter, thank you. Now, would you be frightened for Peter? I mean, his track record's not looking so good. Stand on the water, fall in, ask a question, you're dull. Here he goes. He answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, which by the way, this is the first time in the Gospel of Matthew that someone acknowledges his unique divine role specifically. Jesus then replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father, in heaven. This is one of my favorite um, passages to understand how God moves. Peter didn't get it just because he was in proximity. I think Peter got it because he was looking and God showed him. Peter got a lot wrong, but he's the first one that Jesus goes, blessed are you, man, you get this. And it was God, it was my father himself who made this clear to you. When I, when I get together with people that are, and they, many are in the church and even been around the church, and those that have not, oftentimes I'll find out people understand who Jesus is from a cognitive level and even intellectual level. But the idea of ever encountering and having his presence revealed to them is foreign. And one of the greatest journeys for me in, in my life is both helping people who wouldn't even claim Jesus to those who've claimed church and not Jesus. 
Oh man, I just want to journey with you because I'm not going to convince you with words, but somewhere I believe God will reveal himself if you'll just keep walking after him. And I love it. That's what happens to Peter. Jesus goes right on from here and gives him some great things. Hey, Peter, on this rock, and there's all sorts of discussion about whether it's just him or the whole church, but we're not going to worry about that for today. He says, listen, I'm going to build my church. Hell won't stop it. Oh, and by the way, whatever you bind will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loose. In other words, I'm going to give you great authority to change the world. Who did Jesus entrust that to? This is the same dude who's dull and the same dude who fell in the water after having a moment of, just because he had one good moment, he gave him that. Is that what you think? No. Jesus knew the work that was still coming. And make no mistake, this is a short-lived hero moment. Because <laughs> if you just go a few verses later, Jesus is then telling these same disciples, these same friends, listen, I'm going to suffer and die and rise again. And Pete, in his incredible, thoughtful vomit, responds, I'm going to take Jesus aside. I know he's walking on water. I know he's the Lord of all, but I think you got something wrong, Jesus. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. (laughs) Come on, is that not bold and stupid? But is it not understandable? What, What do you think Pete's saying? He's saying, Jesus, that's not the way I want it to happen. Jesus, that's not the way I'm going to follow you. I figured out a better way. It entails power and dominance, and that's the way you need to go. Jesus' response, get behind me, Satan. He's gone from dull to the devil. He is not having a good day. You're a stumbling block to me, and you don't have the mind concerns of God, but merely human concerns. From zero to hero to zero. Isn't that comforting? It is to me. Because I think in my life, there's a lot going on around me that I want to say, Jesus, not that way. Jesus, why not this way? Jesus, why not go here? And that's not the way Jesus moves. And Peter's continually having to be reminded, you're following me, I'm not following you. That's what Jesus is saying to him. You follow my way. You don't follow me up to the point it goes the way you don't think it should. This is not open for discussion and debate. And he even reminds him, you have the mind of humanity on this, not the mind of God. You need to see it in a new way. It's part of how I'm moving. And you would think, maybe here, (laughs) he'll finally get it. Jesus goes on. He has more interaction. He says, you know what? Tells him this prophecy from Ezekiel. Listen, they're going to strike the shepherd and the sheep are going to scatter. Peter is not happy with that because what he's saying is you guys aren't going to stay true to all this. So Peter again chimes in. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I truly, I tell you, Jesus says, on this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me, not once, not twice, three times. See, Peter's going through a battle in his following of Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, I want to follow you, but there are so many ways I think this should go. And make no mistake, every one of them is always associated with power is that not the battle we have in the life of following Jesus. We want to have power over life and others. Well, this continues. Jesus will take his buddies into the Garden of Gethsemane. He'll be crying out to God three times. He's going to ask 
Peter to join him, and each time he and his buddies fall asleep. Jesus is going to then take them out from the garden, and all of a sudden he'll be met, as Judas has already told other people to come and get him, by some of the servants of the high priest. Do you think Peter gets it then? Nope. Pete pulls out a sword and chops off the ear of one of the servants. This is through all the Gospels. We have to get to all, we have to get to different ones of them to see the whole picture. You know what Jesus does with the ear? (laughs) He picks it up, puts it back on the guy, and it's healed. Come on, isn't that cool? Like we see, when we hear things like this, I get so bummed that I think it's just like a normal thing. Hey, you know, I cut off an ear, put it back on, tomato, tomato, no big deal. That's amazing. Side note, do you think Jesus wants his believers to be able to do things like that? He does. He has more for us than we know. Imagine you're thinking you need to move in power and Jesus is healing the very enemy you're trying to fight. Does that seem backwards? I didn't even think about it, but it has a whole lot of application today, doesn't it? Man, we pit ourselves against others. And Jesus goes, man, put the ear back on. Put the dignity back on. Heal the divide between you. Peter will go on, and he will indeed betray Jesus three times. And the third time, the rooster will crow, and he will be so discouraged. He will run and weep, feeling he has lost everything of following Jesus, even after the resurrection, broken and devastated. John then takes us to this beautiful story, the story on the shore where Peter has gone back to fish, given up, and Jesus finds him there through a wonderful series of situations, first yells at him to where to put the net out, all these fish come in, which shouldn't happen. They suddenly realize, someone else tells him it's Jesus. He hops out of the boat, runs to the shore, and is embraced as Jesus is actually literally making a meal for them. And then Jesus asks these questions. Hey, do you love me? Peter answers, you know I do. He asks it three times. Feed my sheep. Three times of desertion, three times of forgiveness and love. Three times of an invitation, not just to be restored, but to say, guess what? I have a great purpose in your life. And we make the mistake of going, that was Peter, and not realizing Peter is not, bo- not just a man from history. He's an image for all of us. Do you know God's saying the same thing to you? Whatever you've done, whatever you think you have done to exclude or be too far or disinterested, Jesus just comes to you in the shore and says, guess what, I'm here. Not only do I love you, I have a new purpose for you, feed my sheep. I have a new way for you, feed my sheep. I have a new life for you, feed my sheep. Everything Peter followed and watched Jesus do, he's saying that's the role of my people to change a world in need. Walk where I walked, walk like I walk, live like I like, not just talking about it, but demonstrating it. You think walking on water was awesome? I got a whole lot more for you than that. It's so compelling. Peter still has a bit of this in him where he's like, well, what, what's, he's asking about John's destiny and what's gonna happen and what's, what's his own. And Jesus tells him, when you get older, it's gonna be rough. In fact, the way you're gonna die is gonna be difficult. You will suffer. 
for me. You'll go where you don't want to go, be taken how you don't want to be taken. And after he says it, it says he did it to indicate the kind of death Peter would glorify God through. In other words, that will do something powerful, even in the difficulty. And then he said to Peter two words. Follow me. How many times do we want God to make follow me mean wonderful, easy, better? Make no mistake, it will be wonderful and better. Easy, comfortable, those don't go together with it. So often, we want Jesus to be the one we follow to the place we want to go in the way we want to go. But man, when you see these early Christians, they saw that what he had was so much better, it didn't matter what it meant. It's not just Pete, by the way. Paul knows he's going to suffer. He has all these people that are telling him, even after he's been in Ephesus for three years, they come back for this kind of final goodbye in a city right near there. And they're like, don't go, don't go, don't go because they know he's going to suffer. And Paul's like, that's my destiny. Whatever it means for Jesus, I'll do it. You do realize Jesus' suffering for us is not just a pass, like a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's how he lived. If we follow him, would we suffer for him? Oh, yes. We have dulled who he is by domesticating him. You know what? He's going to make life better. It's going to go well. It's reasonable. It's understandable. No, it's not. But man, is it better than that. Peter's only response, I'll go. (laughs) I want to take you to one more picture of this. Because it's the part for me that I find most compelling about Pete's story. Uh, When you look at him in Acts, he's a different person. But if you go back, and there's another kind of aspect of how you see the story. In Luke, Jesus tells them, listen, I'm going to go. I, I will rise, but I'm going to leave. This is all happening. And he says, but I'm going to give you the Spirit. And then he leaves. <laughs> if God told you the Holy Spirit's coming, just go and wait in Jerusalem for a while for it, would that not freak you out? Like, he's gone. Could he have brought him first? Could it have been kind of a synonymous thing? Like, he leaves, the Spirit comes, no lag time? Like, what's with the deal with the wait? I would have tons of questions. I'd like to know what Peter wanted to shout as he was heading up. Hey, when, how, what? How will that look? It takes you to Acts and what they say, and it means so much more to me. In Acts, it says, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. When I usually read this, and I read constantly in prayer, do any of you think, man, 20 minutes, maybe a half hour, an hour if I'm having a good day, constantly? They gotta be kidding. Can you imagine if I said, hey guys, we think God's gonna move, we're just gonna stay here constantly and pray until he shows up. Do you think, and I'm not, I'm including myself, we'd all go, uh, no thanks. I don't think God really would ask that of us. You know why they stayed constantly in prayer? They'd seen and they were desperate. They weren't self-sufficient. They couldn't do anything to make it better. And this is what I've come to in my own life, and I'm pretty sure I'm normal, like many of you, at least in this aspect. You could say I'm not normal in other ways, but I think we are comfortable and we are self-sufficient. I think we've scaled back what we think and said that was wonderful in the Bible. 
Now God needs to move in a different kind of power where we can domesticate and dominate and legislate and decide. And we've made him so much less than he is. What got to me was, not that they prayed a long time, but they were desperate enough to need to keep asking. It's weird. I found myself just asking God, make me more desperate. And it scares me to ask that. But I found it scares me more to not ask it. I don't want to miss out my whole life on what he has. He has so much more for us than a comfortable domesticated faith that makes our lives live as we always have. Jesus says to us, follow me. It's a simple ask. It's a simple invitation. But it's follow me. Not let me join you where you're going. Follow me. Not you follow me as you like to and as it fits with what you want. It's follow me completely. What's crazy in Acts is the Spirit does descend after they prayed for this 10 days on Pentecost. It says tongues of fire rest on them. It says they actually speak in the tongues of everyone there. It speaks in each one of their native tongues. They think they're drunk. The people are saying, they must be drunk. And Pete's going, these guys, it's nine in the morning. And they're saying things to you that only God could say. And then it says they were filled with the Spirit and they did this as the Spirit enabled them. In other words, they were so desperate that the Spirit had free access to whatever he wanted to do and needed to do. I don't think it's new for us to think Jesus gives us his Spirit to help. In fact, we would understand theologically that Jesus gives us his Spirit when we're saved, that we all have the Spirit. And I'm not trying to tell you you got a small dose and you need a bigger dose. But I am telling you, could it be possible that we've kind of squelched the very Spirit's presence in our lives? Not asking for more, not wanting more? I told you Peter's life changes. It's interesting when you get into Acts because that up and down doesn't happen the same way. In fact, Peter actually is part of this healing of someone early on into the book of Acts. And all he does, you can look at Jesus' healing and Peter's, and all he does is he literally repeats what Jesus said, and the same thing happens. All he's doing is mimicking the Savior. I love it. The guy gets healed. They all want to basically affirm Pete, you are so special, God healed through you. Now tell me that wouldn't enter your desire that I'd like God to use me so I can be special. That's not the case. All Pete says is, hey, this is Jesus of Nazareth. He lived, died, and rose again. He's the one who healed him. It has nothing to do with me. His whole posture changes because he's allowing the Spirit to live in his life in a way that frees him from so much of what he'd struggled before. He's, he's uh, told by the, those in leadership in the city not to talk about Jesus anymore, and he says, I can't stop. They throw him in prison. Another one of the early disciples gets thrown in and gets beheaded and killed right away. Pete supernaturally gets out, but he doesn't know whether it's going to happen. Remember what Jesus said? You're going to die a horrible death. He surrendered. I don't know what it means, but I'm going. Peter will go on to lead the early church. He's going to be misguided and exclude Gentiles, and God's going to give him a vision, and he's going to respond, I need to change this, because he surrendered to the leading of the Spirit. There's so many things I see, and there's so many things I believe God wants to do in us And at least for me, I've realized I've just settled for less. And all I want to offer you today are three simple words. 
And there are three simple words I'm going to ask you not just to say today, but I'm going to ask you to say them this afternoon. I'm going to ask you to say them tonight. I'm going to ask you to say them in the morning. I'm going to ask you to say them when you're in a difficult situation. I'm going to ask you to continue to ask and say them over and over and over again. Because it's the only thing I could keep coming to, and it's the way God is leading me, and I believe he's leading us. And here are the three words. Come, Holy Spirit. What might it mean for you and I to actually say, God, we don't have enough of you. I don't know what it means. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus, you want me to actually pray for somebody who's ill in front of them to get well, and I don't know what's going to happen? That scares me. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus, you care more about what's going inside and the people in need than you do about being in power and over in all of this crud that's surrounding us in culture. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus, this relationship is broken. Come, Holy Spirit. But I want things to go well and easy with my family. Come, Holy Spirit. I am convinced we don't have less because it's a domesticated time. We have less because we don't think we need him. We think he needs to do our agenda. What I want to do to close up, um, and if you're online or whether you're here in a minute, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand if you want more of God's presence. And again, I'm not saying that the Spirit hasn't filled you or given access, but Paul again and again prays for us to be filled, filled fresh and filled again. So I'm not trying to tell you you're less and he has more. What I'm telling you is awaken to what he wants to do and invite him to move. And so in a minute, I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and raise your hand if you want it. I'm not gonna be looking. I'm not really interested in appeasing my desires. If you're not ready for it, don't raise it. If you think I'm wrong, don't raise it. But if you think God has more for you, you ought to ask. One of the things I love, I'll just give you this final thing, I'm gonna pray for us. When Jesus heals, he doesn't just come and heal, he always asks them, what do you want? And they get to tell him and that's how he responds. So really I'm just asking, what do you want? Have you closed your eyes now? If you're saying I want more, I just want you to raise your hand with your eyes closed or on, online, just pushing it up. Lord, on behalf of everyone who wants this now, come Holy Spirit. Breathe life into us. Burn away this self-sufficiency, this comfortability, this idea that you have to move a certain way. God, we need you. We want more of you, more of your kingdom, more of your presence, and more of your movement in our lives. We want to follow you and can't do it without you. God, I ask for desperation that we'll become more desperate. This isn't a moment to fix. It's a beginning journey to say, how do we keep asking? And Lord, lead us to that. Lead us to more of you. In your mercy, pour out your presence. I pray especially, God, even for those who'd say, I don't even know if i buy this. Would you show up and show them you're real? That they would start following? Would you awaken people who've been around church, God, but not really been yours to follow you? 
Would you minister to pain and let them experience how you see them joyfully and worthily? God, move in power. We can't do it without you. Come, Holy Spirit. Ask this in the name and in the power of Jesus. Amen.